1: Now it's Gabe time. Gabe Coon. Gabe
0: Coon was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy baked
1: oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. How about it? Welcome in Thursday, November 16th, 2023. It's time for the Gabe Kuhn Show. I'm your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Kuhn. On X, at G underscore Kuhn, 71. Alongside the new 29-year-old. New 29-year-old, that would be the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That would be Connor. Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, did you have a good birthday, brother? I had a great birthday. Okay. Are really you are birthday. you willing to tell me where you ate last night now? Because I know you didn't want to drop <laughs> yeah, it on the show. We ate uh we had it we ate, ate moon, moon I, I at th- moon, moon dance I hear great things. I've never been to moon dance I hear it's fantastic, A
2: phenomenal, a phenomenal smoked bourbon.
1: Oh, smoked so bourbon, is it's that a, right?
2: It's a it's an old-fashioned that okay. they put in like a glass box and it's just and they fill it with smoke. It's incredible. Delicious! The burger's amazing. The shoestring fries, ten out of ten. Highly recommend.
1: Okay, smoked bourbons. You get a little Old Dom, get a little Old Dom, of okay. course. Yeah, the new. Do they do they have the new the cast strength? They have the four year, the five year, the bottled and bond. They have the regular.
2: I didn't ask for specifics outside of do you have this, and they said yes. Okay, I was okay. just like, hey,
1: fantastic or, or what? Very good. I've been getting. I've been hearing great reviews on Old Dominic's cast strength. Their their four year and their five year bourbon. And I've had it as well. Strong, strong as hell. you got to be careful with it. I was feeling great. Yeah, you got to be careful with it, but it is fantastic. It's very, very good. Ten out of ten would recommend. Very, very good. Now, three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. We're going to open on the NBA and Draymond Green getting his suspension of five games. I'm smiling. I know you can't see my face, but I'm smiling because finally the NBA does something worthwhile, in my opinion. Some people will say, "Oh, you know, especially in the... City of Memphis will say, oh, he should have gotten more. Five games, I think, is uh, is worthy. I think that is a worthy punishment handed down by the NBA for uh, the repeat offender, Draymond Green. Also, we uh, will explain, and we mentioned a little bit yesterday, but after the loss against the Nuggets that the Clippers took to go 0-5 in the James Harden era, James Harden continues to have no social awareness. Just none. We'll play a quote, we'll play some sound, and I'll explain why he needs to have more social awareness than he has Right this second, while he's playing for the Los Angeles Clippers, and then Connor, I know you you pointed me in the direction of this this morning, but Chris Mannix for SI ended up writing a really interesting piece about Dylan the villain, Dylan Brooks, and I think it's pretty intrusive to how he feels. I have a very real quotes, I have a very truthful quotes coming from him uh, about how he feels about the Grizzlies and, and how the Grizzlies sort of castigated him at the end. Um, didn't know that he would be that honest in that moment about how he felt about the Grizzlies, but he has, he has certainly let his feelings be known. Also, we have some college football to discuss. Jim Harbaugh accepts his fate. Uh, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, I should say. We know that the sign-stealing scandal has led the Big Ten to punish him. And uh, it was three games he can't be on the sideline for. Once they get into postseason play, he certainly can be on the sideline But he has accepted it. They're not going to get their temporary injunction. They're not going to get the temporary restraining order. Um, And he'll spend two more games, including the Ohio State game, away from the sideline. But That didn't really seem to affect him. Didn't really seem to affect him. Also, Tigers versus SMU. Everything is leaning in SMU's direction when you look at at this game on paper. I I don't think there's any doubt about that. What they've been able to accomplish, statistics-wise, looking at their top ten offense, Uh, from a scoring perspective, top 10 defense from a scoring perspective. They're one of three teams to be able to get that done alongside Michigan and Georgia. They keep really good company. Uh, Everything seems to favor SMU, but I'll tell you why. I I don't know if I am as convinced that the Tigers will come out flat and not make this thing a game. We know that SMU's played similar opponents, and they've beaten the hell out of them where the Tigers – have played those inferior opponents and played really close games, including last week overtime against Charlotte. But something tells me, and I'll tell you my thoughts, this game will not be as, as large of a uh, – it's not as large of a spread as, as Vegas is telling you right this second. Eight and a half right now in SMU's favor. And SMU, a lot of Sharps are playing SMU in this game that will be played 11 a.m. in Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. Take a trip around the NFL at 5.30 – um, <laughs> we've had some interesting admissions today, Connor. I don't know if you've been following it all. Carissa Thompson. I know that, uh, Giannotto and Jeffrey just sort of ended on that. Carissa Thompson admits a uh, sideline reporter for Fox and Fox host as well. Um, she admitted that she fibs. She, she lies about her sideline reports Sometimes to pardon my take and the guys at Barstool, what a strange admission. And then also Snoop Dogg, this will be sort of the small talk talk. Snoop Dogg is done smoking. That's at least what he's saying. I don't know if it's a ploy for something else. We'll definitely have a think tank on that. But Snoop Dogg says he's done with smoke. And I saw Stephen A. Smith, one of the best tweets of the day. Uh, He said, I won, but at what cost? The stay off the weed stuff. I won, but at what cost? Um, Also on the show today, we'll hop in to the Blitz where the NCAA, I have some choice words for them. They rejected James Madison and Jacksonville State's postseason waiver requests Um, because we know that Jacksonville State, James Madison, coming from FCS to FBS, there's usually a two-year postseason ban, two-year transition period. They tried to make sure they could play in the postseason because they're having good years, and the NCAA has said absolutely not. And then, of course, today MLB owners have unanimously voted for the A's to go to Las Vegas. Las Vegas keeps winning, and Oakland keeps losing. Um, As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock from the Jeff Calkins Show and the Daily Memphis, and then 6 o'clock. Ryan Horvat from BetMGM Tonight. Uh, That is his podcast, and he is also Odyssey Sports Betting Insider. We will get you some picks for the weekend, talk some NBA, college football, NFL, and then obviously we'll talk a little bit of uh, Thursday Night Football because we actually get a good matchup tonight for once on Thursday Night Football. Amazon Prime is happy about that, but we have Bengals at Ravens, interdivisional matchup that could mean a whole lot for both teams. Now let's go ahead and open here on uh, Draymond Green. Draymond Green. Um, from the fracas that that happened between the Timberwolves and the Warriors a couple of nights ago. Uh, NBA hands down $25,000 fines to Rudy Gobert, Clay Thompson, and Jaden McDaniels. But Draymond Green, because of the headlock that he threw Rudy Gobert in, and we talked about it yesterday, Rudy Gobert simply was trying to break up the fight between Jaden McDaniels and Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green decided to completely escalate the situation by putting him in a sleeper hold. Draymond Green will lose $769,970, and he gets a five-game suspension. When we look over the career of Draymond Green, and we mentioned this a lot yesterday, this was due. 100% due. This is his fifth career suspension. He's had 171 technical fouls, 20 flagrant fouls, 19 ejections, and he's accrued $1.4 million in fines from the league. At some point, the NBA had to step in and say, you're too much of a repeat offender. We're giving you multiple games at a time. And, like, when we think about, like, the past year and some change, this has been a step on DeMontis Sabonis, punching Jordan Poole, and then now putting Rudy Gobert in a headlock, and it's only gotten him six games. I think it's on the lenient side, don't you? I think that's where I'm at at this particular moment. But a five-game suspension – Uh, For something that happened on court, not off court, like John Morant with the guns on Instagram Live, I think that that is about as stiff as a punishment as we could have expected. I think it's weak, to be quite honest. I mean, when you go back and you look at it, they talked
2: about how they took into consideration his past altercations and his his previous behavior, and then they used the language that was very similar to the language that they used with the John Morant suspension, and it's only five games. I mean, when you're giving him one game, one game, one game, one game, one game, what do you think that five games is going to do? Do you think it's actually going to change his behavior in any sort of way? No, especially with how the Warriors were so...
1: To be quite honest, honest. about it, I think it should have been 10. I think it should have been 10. Here's here's my question, though. Do you think even if they gave him a 10-game suspension, this is going to meaningfully change how he conducts himself on the floor? Draymond Green's Draymond Green. The reason Draymond Green is who he is, probably a future Hall of Famer, is because of the edge he plays with. I don't think anything, any type of suspension, any type of fine will actually change that. I don't think
2: it would necessarily change the way that Draymond behaves, but it would change the way the Warriors have allowed him to continue to behave this way and how they continue to defend him when he behaves this way. I think one of the things that's driving me crazy about this situation is how just... The Warriors are just kind of lying about this whole situation, saying that, you know, McDaniels started it. He was trying to defend Klay Thompson, that that McDaniel, or that or Gobert had his hands around the neck of Clay Thompson. And it's like all, <laughs> all of us have the footage of this thing, and that's why I think it should have been 10 games or more than five because they needed to send a message to the Golden State Warriors saying, you have allowed this behavior to continue, and to be quite honest, you encourage the behavior from Draymond Green when he does this. Stop. It's just at some point stop because players are going to get hurt. Players have gotten hurt in the past because of this. So I think five games is just to be quite honest, extremely weak. I think there's no consistency in the NBA across the board with suspensions. There's none whatsoever. They don't have a precedence. They pretend like they do, but every single what? case, it's just because if this wasn't, if this was a different player, not Draymond Green and not on the Warriors, they would have gotten more than five what? games. What? No doubt.
1: What I I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. And I, I obviously it's hard to prove that. We know we know that to be true, and you can believe that all you want. But I, I think ultimately, when we talk about on-court fracases, those type of things where punches aren't necessarily thrown, yes, did he show a little bit of, uh, it was a little violent action where he, he dragged Rudy Gobert out of there by his neck. I get all that. Um, but like generally speaking, it's one or two games at a time for things like this, unless a punch is thrown. And in five games, this is the largest suspension by far of Draymond Green's career. And I I don't think it's particularly close. He had what two games in the uh, in the in the finals when the uh, Cavs came back. He had the one game last year in the Kings series. He's
2: only suspended for one game in the
1: finals. Okay, so one game. So this is the, we're 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 you know keen-tupling up. We're we're five timesing I any suspension so, he's ever gotten think, in the past. I
2: think the reason I'm disappointed with the number it's because of the language they use. It's not because of Draymond. It's I understand what you're saying, but the language that they specifically use this time with this suspension, they were pretending like they were going to bring a hammer, and then it's five games. Yeah, and it's like, come on, it, that's just weak to me. It's weak when you're suspending a player for off the court things for 25 games, but this guy's on the court behaving this way, and then the organization is defending and encouraging and, 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 his behavior. Like, you, they just okay, said the compare, five games is just but, nothing. Ultimately, it's nothing. We,
1: we can compare the the reasoning and the 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 wording behind, you know, Draymond Green suspension and John Morant suspension. But in no world are we comparing situations directly side by side. Like the wording will say, okay, detrimental to the league conduct, detrimental to the league, repeat offender, right? Um, But John Morant, we're talking about brandishing a gun on social media, doing that type of thing when you're supposed to be a face of the league. I'm
2: not saying you should have gotten 25 games. I'm just saying five's weak. It's weak. you can't use the same language that you did with John Morants suspension and only him five games that's just that's my opinion he's already been ejected from two games this
1: year I think I think largely throughout his career he's gotten off light that's there's what no I, doubt about it it's this is there's another no example doubt about of that, it in my opinion but it just is but I think this is finally a step in of like, brother. Five games. It'll be more the next time you do this, and likely he'll do it again. Likely something like this will arise throughout the rest of the regular season. We're not that far
2: into it because he's already said I'm not going to. He's like I'm not going to change the way I play basketball, so it's not going to do anything.
1: But this yeah. isn't playing basketball. That's what always That's bothers me point. about the a, whole Draymond. He's, dream he's out
2: thing. there wrestling people and he's pretending like he's defending his teammates. He he was pissed off because Anthony Edwards embarrassed him the night before, and he wanted to get blood back, and that's why a hundred seconds into that game, he jumped on Rudy Gobert and started choking him.
1: It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then you you did make a good point yesterday. Everybody somehow back on the Rudy Gobert, like back on Rudy Gobert's good side. Rudy Gobert. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's rooting for Rudy Gobert. Yeah,
2: Anthony Edwards being awesome, and then Ru- uh, Draymond Green being a, a bag got everybody back but, on Rudy. But Rudy's Draymond's
1: side. heel, just. Actions are just wearing. I love
2: Draymond as brother. as a player. I yes, I do, and I, I, do I enjoy, love the edge he brings. I love, I love what he
1: does. The dirty works fine. It gets but, you, old. Don't 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 go complete wrestling. Don't, don't go WWE because you feel like that's your style of ball. I you should I'm, not be you should not be squaring up with people. You should not be putting Rudy Gobert in a damn headlock Correct. I think I am to be quiet. I think I am more bothered by
2: the the Warriors just. Encouraging this. Oh, type no, one hundred percent. I think you, that's what bothers me. We the heard most the telecast, the broadcast. It's they're insane. like, "Oh, he's trying to break it up." Well, no, he's Steve not. Kerr's like, oh, "Everybody's seen the tape." I don't think you've seen the tape, Steve Kerr. And by the way, Clay Thompson started the whole
1: thing. He gripped Jaden McDaniel's right <laughs> by the jersey and like <laughs> and expected. They it to, tried to act like and then expected like, it not to escalate. And
2: one in a station in in the bay was like I, a I tweet mean, that was like, "Oh, McDaniel's is so dirty." And it's like, are we watching the same thing? The,
1: the full point, even outside of Draymond, the full point for me is like the Warriors. It, just thinking back to the breaking of the code and what what you know uh, was said about Dylan Brooks on on Gary Payton. Uh, The second when he fouled him hard and the breaking of the code and the discussions after the game, your team breaks the code more than every single team combined. Combined. It's not close. When we look at five career suspensions from Draymond Green, 171 technical fouls, 20 flagrant fouls, 19 ejections. When people go, like stars in the NBA, go through their entire career and don't have a single ejection, he has 19. It's (laughs) Come on, man. $1.4 $1.4 million in fines when the normal fine for things like this that arise is $25,000. <laughs> That's hard to do. But I, I agree in, with your sentiment that the Warriors continue to let this happen. But at the same time, I do think a five-game suspension is, is – is, more just. I think that that is finally the NBA saying, okay, you're too much of a repeat offender. If this keeps happening, we'll, we'll up it to 10 games. We'll up it to 15 games if you keep putting people in, people in headlocks. right?" It we'll, just we'll, feels... we'll move down this road of continuing punitive action if you continue your action. It just feels like they said, what's the minimum amount of games we can give him and still kind of send a message? And that's what they landed on. I think it could have been less than that, though, if they were having that discussion. Two or three was what I thought it was going to be. It's just,
2: it's, he makes too much money for it to matter. It's not going to matter. And I think it's just, it's not, what message is it sending? It's yep. not sending one. It's saying, okay, five games. That's not going to change anything. He's going to behave the exact same way. He, he makes too much money for it to matter. The Warriors aren't going to change the way they operate. They're not going to change the way they deal with Draymond Green. Nothing's going to change from this. He's just going to sit out for five games and he's going to come back and do the same stuff.
1: Yep. Now, the Clippers are 0-5 with James Harden. And that trade has been absolutely positively disastrous. They have looked miserable. And they can't get on the same page. Now, we know what James Harden has said. When we figure this out, it's going to be scary. Of course, I mean, on paper, if you do figure it out and you guys share the ball the right way and you play a little bit of defense, James, sure, it may be scary. You have a lot of superstars on the same team, a lot of high-paid superstars on the same team. But after their fifth loss with James Harden, which was against the Nuggets, Nuggets came from behind to go win that game, James Harden has been on this tour of just a lack of social awareness. And that's what I chalk it up to. And this this sound we're about to play, I think it perpetuates that. Go ahead, Connor. You know what I mean? It's, 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 you know, I keep reiterating that I didn't, I didn't have a training camp really or, or, or preseason, so, you know, kind of learning on the fly for a new team and then also getting myself into James Harden shape and and, and game, um, you know, shape is, is very, very important. So, um Tonight was definitely another step in the right direction, and um, just keep improving. I had
0: said the other day that you're being too polite. Yep. As, far as Trying to do Do you feel that way?
1: Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, I think tonight I was a little bit more aggressive. Um, I, f- I feel like I can be a lot more aggressive. So, uh, and ag- aggressive means you know making the right plays, getting guys open shots, not just scoring a basketball. So. I think the other thing we talked about about how much how open you were on somebody many catch and threes. Not, not that you had a lot tonight, but what have you learned in these five games? I guess. Um, so first, I, I I think the funniest part of this whole thing, and we'll break it down piece by piece here. James Harden shape. What's James Harden shape? like, like what is it? I've seen him in good shape at the beginning of the Rockets tenure. By the end of the Rockets tenure, you're in a fat suit. You, you looked like you gained a whole lot of weight and you didn't do anything in the offseason. You s- frequented the strip club. You were eating wings. Magic City loved you. So, like, I, what is James Harden's shape? Like, j- explain that to me. Lay it out for me because I, I don't really know what that is. I'll start there. Now, the lack of social awareness for me is he had the audacity, the, the, the unmitigated gall to remind us, I didn't have a training camp or an offseason. Brother, that's your fault. You you did that. You burned a bridge with Daryl Morey, who's consistently been in your quarter just about your entire career. You say he's a liar. You never want to play for him. You get traded to the Clippers. It's going bad. And you blame it on the fact that you didn't have an offseason when it is completely your fault you didn't have an offseason. You could have gotten work outside of the 76ers' uh, training facility. You could have got yourself into shape. What were you doing at that time? There's a lot of questions that I have to ask when you say, oh, well, the reason why I haven't been playing all that well is because I haven't had a training camp. You could have taken it upon yourself to get yourself in what you uh, talk about being James Harden shape. You could have taken it upon yourself to be ready to make this transition to the Clippers, but you didn't like the lack of social awareness from this guy just it it beams off of him not just this but then you just look at the fact that he wants to be a max player and at this point in his career we see that the 76ers are thriving without him we see that um, like generally speaking he's lost a couple of steps we see that he still wants to be this high you know he put, puts up a bunch of shots with a, a lack of efficiency but he still thinks he's the same player he was in his first couple of years with the Rockets, where he's winning MVPs. This guy's social awareness is a net zero at this point in his career, and I just can't understand why he still thinks he's the same player that he was five to six years ago. He's not that guy anymore. And it's frustrating to watch him every night talk to the press and make excuses for himself that really fall on deaf ears. I know everyone's annoyed with it. Not just me. I bet Clippers fans are annoyed with it. I bet the front office is annoyed with it. He talked about, by the way, uh, how quick was the transition from him saying, I am not a system player, I'm a system, to, oh, well, I didn't have enough uh, time in the training camp to uh, get myself into shape and and get myself ready to play. That switched quickly. James Harden experience, not just the – we talked about the Draymond experience wearing thin, but largely Draymond will show up and do what he's asked to do when he's on the floor. James Harden has fallen short and now he wants to make excuses. I, 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 I don't, I don't, jive, it doesn't jive with me.
2: It's it's just very odd how he continues to try to perpetuate this victim storyline. And he, he pretends as if he has been, just thrown to the to the masses and how he has not been giving these opportunities and how he has been the victim in all of these situations when he you know Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce talked about it on their podcast and it it was great we definitely can't play the clip on air but it, it was fantastic but they were talking about how you know they are former NBA players so they are in favor of player empowerment but Kevin Garnett put it pretty perfectly he was like you get one or two in your career to be able to do it. He was like, you've done it three times in a row in
1: 22 months in a yeah. 22 month and, period.
2: And at some point it's just, you've got to look yourself in the mirror, man, and say, I am responsible for the circumstances it, that I am in.
1: It's,
2: it's just crazy. He's trying to pretend as if getting a max contract from these teams is, is not enough for him and that he needs to be the full system when he's playing next to an MVP. It's like, at what point are you going to wake up? Kawhi Leonard's already bothered by this situation. Yes. And there are reports saying that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were, were in favor of the trade, but it sounds it sounds like Ty Lue was not in favor of the trade because he understood what it was going to do to, to his job, to his team. They lost guys who weren't plus players in, in the sense that, you know, they were going to give you a ton of stuff on the offensive end and the defensive end every single night, but they were kind of those glue pieces that, you know, they just helped, they did the dirty work. They did the things where they allowed Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook to kind of focus on the offensive end. They didn't have to grind as much on the defensive end. But now what we've been seeing is that you are asking these players who are 32 plus to all do to do everything on the court now. They're having to play these big minutes, they're having to grind on the defensive end, they're, they're having to try to Share the basketball on the offensive end when it just doesn't work. When you have four guys who all kind of need the ball in their hand, it's not going to work out. And when one of them's completely out of shape and just doesn't try on the defensive end, it brings down the entire team. It brings down the envi- entire vibe. It's not some mystery why they're 0-6 with him. Everybody knew when the trade got, ha- got made, we said, oh, this might work out, but it's more likely that it's going to be a train wreck.
1: Yes, and... I, I just look at the 76ers right now. Tyrese Maxey putting up 50-point games. They're Going right at the top crazy, of the East. Dude. They look like one of the best teams Embiid's in the East the right this he's second. he's been in years. Joel Embiid's <laughs> happy. It seems like everybody's meshing. Uh, there's been conversations behind. I mean, Kelly Oubre's having a good year. Everybody's talking about behind the scenes with the 76ers. We're not, a, we're not me guys. We, we, we have left all the selfish ways behind us, and I think they left that behind the influence with, with James Harden out the door. And then he, James Harden goes straight to the Clippers, And they are substantially worse because of him. They're substantially worse because of him. So you see a team that you left behind thriving, and you see a team that you join completely fluttering, looking horrible. And at some point, when you suck at your job, when people are bad at their job, and they get called in and they have to answer questions about what's going on, sometimes you have to look in the mirror And say, is it them or is it me? And I think James Harden is at this crossroads where he has to understand that it's him. But he does not, like all the messaging, everything he's putting out there, it continues to show you he's never going to blame it on himself. He's going to blame it on everybody else around him and all of the factors around him.
2: Well, it's just crazy that he's talking about how he's got to get himself in shape and focus up and things like that. You when, had a chance to do that, bro. Well, he's had a chance to, he'd had a chance to do that during the off scene. It's absolutely ridiculous that he's pretending like he's not allowed to work out unless he's playing for a team that he likes. You don't have to go to the facility like you said. You can work out on your own, dude. I'm pretty sure that you have trainers yes. in the
1: basketball. Why?
0: Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours.
1: Why? Why?
0: Because your network...
1: Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in. Baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.
2: 100%. Go shoot. Um, but what's silly about it is that even when he's been on the Clippers, after games that they have lost and he has been bad, he's going to the club. It's like, yeah. where's your focus? Where's yeah. the focus here? It doesn't make any sense. When was the last team that? When was the last team that James Harden was on that was happy? Was it the Thunder? Maybe. Has it been that long? Was it or maybe but was, it, happy was it? How happy were it, they, was they? when it, they completely blew
1: that up and it all went their separate ways? Well, that was different. That know, was more they of a money situation. Was, that I'm wasn't saying, really their decision as much. I know, but, but, but like was, I, I'm saying, like was that was that even an overly happy
2: situation? No, I'm not saying it is. But my my point is that. The last few teams he has been on, the Rockets, they hated each other by the end. They all hated each other. The Nets, they hated each other. The Sixers, they hated each other. As soon as he left the Sixers, and this is headed down that same path with the Clippers. All of a sudden, it's the city of brotherly love again. After James Harden left that team, and then the Clippers hate each other. There, there's a trend here. (laughs) It's that one guy. There's one guy with the beard. Yes, 100%. Every single time. And I just. There is a similar factor in every single one of these situations, and its name is James Harden.
1: At some point, you have to accept your fate. At some point, you have to realize who you are as a basketball player and, and act accordingly. And he's not doing that. That's he's why just not during the
2: offseason, we were like, we I don't understand why he
1: didn't. Because we can be completely honest about the Clippers. They can be a great team. They can be a fantastic they team. They great team. If they, no, they but were. even with the pieces they have right oh, now yeah, with yeah, this yeah. trade, they can be a fantastic team. Sure. But it's going to take a buy-in from everybody, including James Harden, and it, it, history shows us James Harden's buy-in at this point in his career seems to be at an all-time
2: low. Well, and we've already seen – what happened to their roster. Like, they're them going out and getting Daniel Tice, who I do think is a good move for them, you know, because he got bought out by the Pacers and he's going to end up signing with the Clippers. That's a good move for them, but that is directly caused by them getting rid of Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, and and K.J. Martin. Like, that move is happening because they got rid of those guys and they realize, oh, crap, all we have is Zubach down there? We're going to get eaten alive by teams like the Nuggets, which we saw them get eaten alive by Nikola Jokic. Absolutely destroyed them. Absolutely destroyed him. Then, you know, Paul George did that. It's just there have been so many un- – uh, like they didn't – the Clippers have just made so many pitfalls already this season that they didn't have to make. It's little decisions that they have been making that just don't make any sense to me. I yeah. I, I don't understand what they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, but they need to figure out sooner than later. 0-5 with James Harden, 0-6 since now. they've made the – since they've made the trade, it's it's brutal right now, and I think most people would say we could have predicted this. We could we we absolutely did predict this. Now uh, Dylan Brooks uh, in a story in SI uh, with with Chris Mannix, Chris Mannix. I thought it was a great piece. You should should go check it out, uh, Dylan the Villain. It's on SI. Um, but in regards to the end at Memphis, we know what Shams reported this past offseason. the Grizzlies will not bring him back. By you know, it just will not happen, right? Like that was well, what. was the exact? Under any under any circumstances, under any circumstances or they like will not bring him back. And Dylan Brooks told Chris Mannix, and I think this was you know very intrusive, very honest. He said what I didn't like about Memphis was they allowed that so they can get out of the woodwork, and then I'm the scapegoat of it all. That's what I didn't appreciate and then ultimately they come to me on the low as, as men, one-on-one, and tell me something, but then not defend me when everything went down. I can see that, where you know behind the scenes, maybe they didn't put out, I would, I'd be willing to say they did not put out the shout to Sham Sharani to say that was the exact sentiment. Uh, it was something similar to that. They did not give that to him, though. I don't think anybody in the front office players did that. Um, but I could see where, when it all sort of hit the fan, when the Grizzlies did not put out a response saying we absolutely unequivocally did not say that, we stand at Dylan Brooks' corner, we really appreciate uh, the time that he gave us, I can see where he would feel a little bit peeved by that, a little bit annoyed because, quite frankly, Dylan Brooks was a meaningful part of this team and the buildup for this team. Um, And if he didn't feel that appreciation, just like a lot of people, if they leave a job and they feel like that job uh, did not give them the appreciation uh, for their years of service, I can see where Dylan Brooks would be a little bit annoyed with that, with everything that was being discussed about him, with him being thrown under the bus in his mind uh, by, uh, by national writers and everything else. Uh, the fact that the Grizzlies may have not come to his defense nationally saying that those writers were completely false with their statements, I can see where Dylan Brooks definitely took that the wrong way and, and, and would take that a little bit sideways on his way out.
2: Yeah, the, you know <clears throat> the Dylan Brooks thing, it's interesting because... The one thing about him is that he is going to tell the truth when you ask him a question, and that's something that I think you can respect. I may not agree with everything that he said, but I kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, because we've said it many times, at the end of the day, I do think it was probably time for the Grizzlies to move on from Dylan Brooks and for Dylan to move on from the Grizzlies. And it's really worked out for Dylan. I knew it was going to when he went to Houston, especially having a coach like Ime. He got paid, and he can help build the culture there, which he's doing. And that's what he did here. Dylan was so important to the culture of the Memphis Grizzlies, to the, to the grit that they had out there on the court. We feel his absence this season. 100%. He would certainly be helping them this season if he was on the floor. But – he did kind of shoot himself into the position to be that scapegoat. It's it's kind of a chicken in the egg. Like, did Dylan become the scapegoat because of him, or did he become the easy scapegoat because of how he was playing? It's a little bit of both. I, I can kind of see it both ways. I, I don't disagree with him saying though that the Grizzlies did allow him to become the scapegoat across well, they, the board. Well, they
1: they they allowed they allowed Shams. They, wording allowed, they allowed some narrative. In the athletic. To they run. allowed that narrative yeah. to go. Yes. Where I can see where he is completely peeved by the fact that they allowed that to happen with all the good years of service he gave to them. Yes,
2: and that's where... as a second-round and-
1: pick. And putting himself in a position to be as good as he was and to put himself in a position to get a $90 million contract, he's clearly valued more than he was around the NBA draft when the Grizzlies took him. He made himself into a player, worked his ass off, and then by the end they let these narratives run and, and sort of let him be... The guy who fell on the sword. And yes, that, that that I can see where that is incredibly frustrating.
2: Right, and that's why you know we tried to talk about it in a few shows on the station, and a lot of people you know across the fan base were trying to talk about it. It, it is hard to replicate a Dylan Brooks. It's hard to find a three and D guy. To the level of Dylan Brooks, and we are seeing the Grizzlies struggle to do that right now. They tried to do it through the draft, and they weren't able to get it done. They tried to do it through trades and free agency, and haven't been able to get it done. It is difficult to find a player like Dylan Brooks, and that's why I understand where he's coming from, and that he didn't feel like he was valued, and that what he did for the Grizzlies and building this culture and trying to get them to the position that they were, that he just it, it was too it was too ugly of a breakup. I suppose it, it should have been it should have been a little bit more clean. I understand that it ended poorly on the court. He poked the bear and things like that. But at the end of the day, Dylan was—he was the longest tenured Grizzly. He had been here through some really tough years, and he put it out there on the floor every single night. It's why I went to bat for him so much because his antics—I was able to deal with his antics because he gave it all on the court and he truly believed he was the best player out there. And he didn't—it's—I've been—I've been been pleased. You need that edge. You need that mindset. And I've been pleased that you know. And he talked about it in this piece that he did take lessons from how it ended. It does seem like that he realized that. Oh, this is how I am being perceived. I can t- change how I'm being perceived in the NBA by t- having better shot selection, trying to be a true leader on this team, and really buckling down and focusing on the defense. He has been tremendous for the Rockets this season, and you know, you could argue could that have happened in Memphis? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Emay's a different type of coach than Taylor Jenkins is. They have a different type of roster than the Grizzlies have. He may have also realized that you know the way that it ended last season, him being the the you know he's leaning into the villain thing now, but it's because it's kind of turned into a wrestling bit. But at the time last year in the playoffs. He was dealing with a lot of hate from across the league, across the fans, and, you know, He he was dealing with you know being ejected from games and things like that. He probably had a moment of realization, saying, "This isn't how I can move forward. I can lean into the Dylan, the the villain thing here, but I've got to make it a little bit more fun, and I have to get it together on the court so that I can have fun with this and lean into it, and and you know just continue my career in this way." So that's why I hope the trend that has continued this year with Dylan in Houston continues. I hope this is what he can be for the rest of his career because he's he's really turned it around so far this year. I'm rooting for it to stick. I have doubts that it will because you know we've seen stretches of. Been good though. Well, we've had months of, of Dylan Brooks shooting this way and playing this way, but then it kind of dips for a little yep. bit. So I hope it can stay consistent but down there.
1: If I'm reading, if I'm reading through it, it's about perception. It's about sure. letting. It's not about the Grizzlies' perception of him per se, but it's about the Grizzlies letting the perception Correct. on the national scale run. Right. And and I get that. Now, no, it'll <laughs> change your perception. You get all these national brands of spirits. Go to Old Dominic. They'll change your perception (laughs) about getting local spirits. There's only one place in town that gives you option after option when it comes to spirits. That's Old Dominic Distillery. Connor got to get some of the new bourbon at Moondance last night. He got it smoked, and he enjoyed it. Uh, But they also have their gin, their vodka, the famous toddy. We're getting into the cold winter months, so make sure that you get some of that toddy. Um, they have the whiskey and the bourbon that Connor enjoyed. And there's that new release bourbon line. I, I cannot rave about it enough. There's four separate bottles. I'm sure Connor got one of the cast strength bottles. They have a four-year and a five-year. They have the bottled and bond. They have the regular OG version. But get your hands on a bottle as soon as possible. They take care of you at Old Dominic. Get down to 305 South Front Street. Check out what makes them so special at their state-of-the-art distillery. You can grab a drink at the bar. They'll give you a craft cocktail. Or you can just go ahead And enjoy a tour and tasting, which you can book at olddominick.com. But change your perception. Change your perception on, you know, local spirits, local distilleries. Go check out our local distillery, Old Dominic Distillery. Make sure you come and say hi. Now we have to get to a little bit of college football. We have some... uh, Pretty interesting numbers to go over with the Tigers versus SMU game. Why I don't think the numbers match what we'll see this weekend. Jim Harbaugh accepts his fate. That's all next, 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back in on the Gabe Koontz on 92.9 FM ESPN. Uh, just coming down from Sham Sharania, worth noting for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, they've been granted a disabled player exception worth $6.3 million by the NBA for the season-ending loss of Steven Adams. They have till March 11th. That's the deadline to use the uh, disabled player exception. I, I I don't know what this is actually going to mean. I think they have other exceptions, trade exceptions and everything else that are larger that they could potentially use. I mean, the the, the only thought I would have is if you find a rotational player um, that, that would fit, that you feel like could get you into that play-in, keep you in playoff contention. By the time Ja comes back, maybe you could use it. But even at that point... Um, you don't get an extra roster spot, so you'd have to cut ties with people, multiple people. I don't know how significant this is. I guess that's my read. I don't know if this is significant, even in the slightest. It could help them out in a trade. Yeah, in a trade, but they're going to have to to find a trade that's worthwhile. That that
2: may be where it comes to fruition is, is in a trade.
1: Yeah. Now, moving on to college football, big news of the day is that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh are willing to accept the punishment that's been handed down by the Big Ten. Now, this is this is honestly a little bit surprising to me because there's a lot of huffing and puffing from Michigan lawmakers. We had a, a, a letter pinned to Tony Petiti from 11 Michigan lawmakers saying that do not uh, punish him right now. Don't take punitive action or we'll get a temporary restraining order. We're going to uh, get an injunction to make sure that your penalties do not mean a thing. But they did put out a statement. They said this morning the university, Coach Harbaugh, and the Big Ten resolved their pending litigation. The conference agreed to close its investigation, and the university and Coach Harbaugh agreed to accept the three-game suspension. Coach Harbaugh, with the university's support, decided to accept this sanction to return the focus to our student-athletes and their performance on the field. The conference is confirmed that it is not aware of any information suggesting Coach Harbaugh's involvement in the allegations. The university continues to cooperate fully with the NCAA's investigation. Now, I I think that that's a, that's um, uh, a worthy explanation as to why they want to just accept it. You don't want to distract from what's going on in the field, but... I do get the sense, regardless of if they would have got an injunction or not, it's not going to distract the student athletes. They seem to be pretty damn locked in. They threw eight passes last week and beat Penn State on the road by nine. OK? Like I feel as if this is still a rallying cry, whether Jim Harbaugh's on the sideline or not. But I guess falling on the sword, letting this go, it's not a big enough punishment to really fight over. And I guess you could have seen that from the beginning, but it was, I will say. From Michigan's side, a lot of huffing and puffing for them to just ultimately accept it. I still think the final, most funny situation that could come of all this is when, inevitably, Michigan gets through, beats Ohio State, gets the Big Ten Championship, and Tony Petiti, who passed down the punishment, has to hand them the Big Ten championship trophy I think that is the 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 way that this likely will end and that is the funniest ending as well
2: that I think that's you know that's what I'm rooting for it would be fantastic if that if that situation happens it's just you know this is why we just thought this entire situation was so ridiculous though and how big it became because at the end of the day they were like three game suspension and that's what we thought and we were like why is it going to be anything more than that? like this huge investigation, this huge controversy, all these schools getting together, and all this stuff? And it's just it's going to end into three game suspension. It's not that big of a deal. I, it's, well, I we'll think see it's, what I the NCAA has to
1: say about it. But again, yeah, it, it, it's at
2: the same. It's just what what else, what more suspension are they going to give? Yeah, what, what, what more punishment can what, they can and, they realistically again, do?
1: I saw something yesterday about Connor Stallions not uh, doing expense reports, not doing anything. Like that. he didn't really. Um, Michigan has this entire time tried to make him as if he is an actor all by himself, not being influenced by Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff. Now, you can believe that or or not. I tend to not believe that. But I I, I think in the end of the day, the NCAA is going to have to tie this back to him to really give him a massive punishment. And I don't think they're really in the business at this point of handing out these massive postseason ban, full season suspension punishments. Right. So I, I, I don't necessarily think this is the end of it. You may see some probational things where, oh, loss of scholarship, you lose one scholarship, you have, you're, you're limited from doing off-campus recruiting, that type of thing from the NCAA. But I don't see it much more past that. And I am of the opinion, if you watch the game this past weekend on the road, Against Penn State, with Jim Paharbaugh off the sideline, clearly they're not doing the illegal sign-stealing thing because the NCAA's breathing down their neck. The Big Ten's breathing down their neck. They still won by nine points. I still think this entire situation, and the way I view it, would be shifted. It would be shifted if I felt as if this sign-stealing scandal that they have been running for the past three years, I'd feel differently if I felt as if it, Help them on the field in some dramatic way, right? But because- they still beat Penn State on the road by nine, throwing eight passes while the NCAA and Big Ten are breathing down their neck, and their head coaches and on the sidelines. Right. So, in the end of the day, I just I, I don't take it serious enough. I just don't.
2: Well, I also I also believe that a three game suspension seems pretty fair for the circumstances that we're doing here. It seems like a fair punishment Michigan needed to be punished they were egregious with the way that they did it It wasn't about that this the sign ceiling it was how they did it. a three game suspension seems fair. Everybody just needs to look at each other and go, okay, thumbs up. We can move on. Yeah, It's time to move on.
1: That's, that's, you know, at first when I thought it would be a – I still think it's a relatively interesting decision by the Big Ten to escape precedent and punish them right now, punish Jim Harbaugh right now, when in reality they have said we don't necessarily have evidence tying the entire sign-stealing scandal directly to Jim Harbaugh find that strange, but at the same time, Michigan probably looked at it. They say, it's three games. You're not on the sideline. You get to game plan during the week with your team. We'll live with it, and then we'll get into postseason play. We'll get into the college football playoff and deal with it. Then you'll be on the sideline, and we could let bygones be bygones until the NCAA ultimately gives down whatever small punishment and hey, they if, give if they
2: wanted to add a scholarship or something like that, sure. I think that that's probably fair too. But anything more major than a three, like honestly, seems I think it came down indigenous. to Michigan
1: saying, "Is it really worth it for us to fight this yep, thing?"
2: I think that's probably what happened.
1: And that's that. I I I think I agree with them ultimately. I think I agree with them ultimately. Now, SMU versus Memphis. SMU is coming to Memphis, eleven a.m. coming up on Saturday in the sim. It'll be on ESPN too. And when I was digging through the numbers for this whole thing, it does not look good. In the Tigers' favor, like I, I don't have to hide that. Uh, SMU largely has lost to the good teams on their schedule and beaten the bad teams on their schedule. Memphis has lost to the good teams on their schedule, beat the bad teams on their schedule. But the difference you look at is SMU has beaten the absolute hell <laughs> out of the bad teams on their schedule, the inferior teams on their schedule. They went to Temple and beat them. Something I mean, I forget the final score, somewhere around fifty-six to nothing, whatever it was. But they have outscored teams in conference 270 to 88, Connor. 270 to 88. When you look at the Tigers in conference schedule, they've outscored 242 to 206. So they've allowed way too much on the defensive end. SMU, uh, their offense is top 10 in scoring offense. Their defense, top 10 in scoring defense, they're one of three teams along with Michigan and Georgia. That is great company to keep. If you want to be top 10 in scoring offense, top 10 in scoring defense. And quite frankly, their defense is great. They're 30th against the run. They're 13th against the pass. Uh, the, the Tigers pass way back, uh, approaching the hundreds right now. Uh, they're relatively decent, I guess, against the run, although last week was nasty. Uh, they're somewhere in sort of the mid mid uh, middle of, of zero and 100. They're right there in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and then when you look at SMU's offense— it is dynamic, and it's not just Preston Stone airing it out. 20th in rushing yards per game. They're only 32nd in passing yards per game. So there's a misconception about what they're able to do passing the ball versus running the ball. They're very balanced, and they can make things happen, and this is a very good opponent that the Tigers are going to take on at home. And then also, when you look at SMU and the guys they have on the team, they are transfer heavy. They have a lot of good recruits. Um, Their they're running back, Jalen Knighton, Miami, Uh, transfer. Their other running back, LJ Johnson Jr., A&M transfer. Uh, Wide receiver Jordan Hudson, TCU transfer. Uh, wide receiver Romelo Brinson, Miami transfer. Wide receiver Moochie Dixon, Texas transfer. Great name, Moochie Dixon. And then wide receiver Keyshawn Smith, Miami transfer. So they have a bunch of Miami transfers. Rhett Lashley has ties there, uh, and we sort of understand they hop in the portal. Rhett Lashley is the first one to call him, and he can offer them a lot of money. They have a good NIL system, but they have a lot of good players, and they have played really well on the field. Tigers are not, not the same. Tigers have not been doing that. They have not been living up to their level of talent. Have they won ball games? Yes, but they've won them by the skin of their teeth, and they've made you uncomfortable week after week after week. I mean, the North Texas game was close. Uh, You look at the USF game, it was way too close, and they gave up 50 points to a team and a freshman quarterback who – should not be throwing for 350 yards and five TDs. They let a guy who had four rushing yards his entire career at Charlotte run for 198. He now has 202 career rushing yards, and 198 of them came against the Tigers. And all three of his touchdowns in his collegiate career came against the Tigers, Hassan Wilson. So when you look on paper, this does not favor the Tigers in the slightest. But I think I've already mentioned this a little bit this week. I think in the end of the day... I'm not going to buy what the paper is telling me fully because the paper tells you this could be a runaway win for SMU winning by double digits. I don't necessarily know if I buy that at home in AAC play. The Tigers are undefeated against SMU at home in AAC play. The Tigers are undefeated against SMU. So we know that the Tigers do really well at home. They've protected home relatively well. They've scored a lot of points and The big issue, the big point of contention for this team right now is defensively you don't know what the hell they can do to slow down this SMU offense. But what I've seen historically when you look at the University of Memphis is when a big game comes along, guys tend to practice better. Guys tend to prep better. They tend to have better plans. They execute better. They make better plays on the ball when they have a little bit more of their juices flowing. So I think the defense – can maybe get a couple of stops. Do I think this ultimately ends in a Tigers win? Not necessarily, but when you look at that eight and a half point spread, Connor, it, it, it doesn't necess- I, I don't think that tells the full story. And I keep review I, I keep going straight back because this is the largest home. This is the largest home spread where the Tigers have been a dog since the Ole Miss game in 2015. And I remember that game. I was on the field. Our defense stunk that year. And somehow, during that week, they stepped up and held that Ole Miss team down. Could we see a repeat this week? I wouldn't be surprised. Now, if they get gashed, I wouldn't be surprised either. But at the same time, I, I just I, – I'm not fully bought in on SMU running away with this game the way that a lot of people may think.
2: Yeah, it's. I think that was, that was fantastic where you just – broke down there because when you do look at smu's games this season they have scored 69 points twice nice but and they have scored 55 nothing against temple but the tigers defense it's really dr jekyll mr hyde like we've seen them have games where they looked very good and they were able to pace the offense and they kept and and they kept the team in the games against higher competition so that's why i am hoping that that your thought process of this team has – the defense has been playing up and down to competition this year. You know, that's not a trend that you want to see. I'm not saying no, that's a good thing. No, absolutely not, because even if days. they
1: were to play well, they beat right. SMU, you still are scared and worried about next week going right. to Temple.
2: No, 100%. That's you don't not like that. You don't want that problem. You want it to be. But at this point, you kind of hope that that's what this trend continues I mean, because that means that the defense is going to step up this weekend. I mean, that's if, what that's if, what you the hope. The trend
1: has been there. Like, if, the if you look at the two, there. the two best teams, This is the third best team, the tie- or the the one of the three better team, best teams they have played this year. And I, th- I guess Tulane and Mizzou you'd put ahead of them because the college football playoff rankings. But when you look at those two games in particular, thirty-one points allowed to Tulane, thirty-four points allowed to Mizzou. Like they they may have given up big plays. They may have not gotten the job done. The offense may have not stepped up, but defensively, they stepped up. They had a little bit more intensity, a little bit more focus, and I think that that's what we're going to see this weekend. But I wouldn't be surprised either way, unfortunately. That's sort of where I'm at. I hate that, but this this defense, this team in general has been hard to get a pulse on. You just don't know what they're going to look like. Week to week. Now, uh, I know what the Big 12 Championship is going to look like. Did you see this? I know you probably love this. Big 12 and WWE are partnering for the Big 12 Championship at AT AT&T Stadium. There will be a championship belt for the game MVP presented by a WWE wrestler. There will be a WWE slash Big 12 logo on the field. It's sort of the Big 12 logo, and they put WWE over top of the the XII for the Big 12. And then they will have collaborative merch for this. And (laughs) listen, man. Brett Yormark has taken over the Big 12 and done some good things with it, and he's very inventive. I'm not going to shoot him down for this. I find it to be uh, com- completely innovative. But this is this is funny to me. This is this is this is a very interesting collab, to say the least. And uh, you, I think we you need, left
2: out my favorite part. We
1: need to we need to we need to go ahead, and the winning coach needs to be able to perform his favorite signature move on the losing. A hundred percent, stone cold stunner winner gets to do that to the losing coach. I think that's I think that needs to be on the did, table as
0: did well. Did you did you mention Nelly? How uh, Nelly's the halftime
2: performance?
1: I
4: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April first. Toyota. Let's go places. Leading ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month, featuring Kelsey Ballerini,
3: Megan Trainer, L. King.